Hi folks, and welcome to White Collar Week. It's the isolation that destroys us. The solution is in community. Today on the podcast, we have the truth tellers, Larry Levine and Holly Coleman of the Wall Street Prison Consultants and Pink Lady Prison Consultants. I want to warn you right up front, this is a no-holds-barred show with expletives flying. Both Larry and Holly did federal time. Larry in 11 different facilities over 10 years, and Holly in one facility, but her bid included 60 days in the hole. If you are looking at prison time, or you have a family member, friend, colleague, or client who's in trouble, this is an episode you will want to watch or listen to. So coming up, the truth tellers, Larry Levine and Holly Coleman on White Collar Week. I hope you'll join us. Hello, and welcome to White Collar Week podcast sponsored by Progressive Prison Ministries, the world's first ministry serving the white-collar justice community. I'm Jeff Grant, co-founder and your host. I served almost 14 months in a federal prison for a white-collar crime I committed when I was a lawyer, so I know that it's the isolation that kills us and the solution is in community. So let's get started. Hi folks, welcome to White Collar Week. We have a fantastic show tonight. Two of my very favorite people, Larry Levine from the LA area and Holly Coleman from the Dallas area. And we're calling this episode The Truth Tellers because the truth is that these people know what's going on. And there's so much misinformation out there and so many pretenders trying to do what these two wonderful people do that um, we just want to separate the, uh, the wheat from the chaff, as it were. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to ask Larry and Holly to uh, both give a little background on themselves. We'll give them about five minutes each, and then we'll get into some conversations. So uh, Larry, why don't we start with you, Larry Levine? Hey, glad to be here on your show. I want to touch on something you say, the truth tellers. You know what they say, that 50% of what you hear is bullshit and the other half isn't true. Who am I to say? Okay. I'm Larry Levine. Maybe you've seen me on CNN, Fox, MSNBC, Bloomberg, somewhere. Seems like I've been everywhere. I spent 10 years in federal custody for narcotics trafficking, securities fraud, racketeering, obstruction of justice, and machine gun. I dabbled into a lot of different things. And I was in 11 different correctional facilities during my federal sentence. I got two 10-year sentences and a five-year sentence, and they ran them all together. So it sounds like 25 years was really 10. And the reason why I was in so many different facilities is I helped out so many different inmates with early releases, medical care, transfers, furloughs, job changes, all kinds of shit. Justice Department got a little pissed at me. You know, what is the easiest way to deal with a problem? Get rid of it. So they moved me around, which really didn't bother me. Got to see the country, got to fly on Conair, got to experience a lot of things most people don't. And I helped out so many people when I was in custody that people are like, wow, I wish I had met you before I went in and you could have worked with me and worked with my lawyer. And being a smart ass Jew, I thought, well, shit, I could turn this into a business. And I did. You know, and here we are now. I run Wall Street Prison Consultants and Pink Lady Prison Consultants, along with Holly Coleman, who is also with us today. And essentially, we help people. We do, you know, people that come to us, they're screwed. 
They're fucked. There's just no question about it. We do damage control. We help people get into programs so they can get out early. And we get them in position so they can take advantage of these programs. So we can get them into a good institution. I mean, we're not their travel agents, <laughs> but we can get them into an institution that is geographically desirable, easy for their families to visit them at. We get them into the art, we can assist them. Nobody can get anybody into anything. We can help them qualify for several different Federal Bureau of Prisons programs that get people out early, get people extra halfway out, whatever it may be. And that's, that's essentially what we do, you know? 8555-PRISON. You can get a hold of us 24-7. So I think I've run my gums enough, told my story, and I'm going to hand it off to Holly. <laughs> Thanks, hey, Larry. Hi, hi, Holly. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me on here. Yeah, sure. So my name is Holly Coleman. Um, my story is I worked for a very large tech firm out of Silicon Valley. I supported, it was the executive assistant or chief of staff, quote, to the senior vice president of a particular business unit. And back in the day, well, it's still, actually, it's still happening. But at that level, we were whining and dining and taking a ton of customers all over the world. Everything filtered through my credit cards, everything. Some questionable things, yes. Meaning a lot of things from our executive team, mm -hmm. um, some of myself, even personally, but not to the level of what my charge was by any means. Um, what happened? The company was doing a reorganization and merging things, and I took a package left. And a year later, on my birthday, I had 13 FBI agents at my front door. Not wow. my door. Open up, FBI! <laughs> <laughs> That's how it went. And um, of course, at that point, they just had a search warrant. They were looking for things that were purchased on these credit cards. It mostly was, like I said, all travel, so there was nothing. They Ended up taking my cell phone, my husband's cell phone, and a computer and returning those to me three months later. But in the meantime, you're going through this trauma of like, what's going on? This is a federal case. What do I do? Had to find an attorney, found an attorney, and basically it was an investigation. There was no indictment. Mm -hmm. A plea deal came right away, and I'm still you know shell-shocked about this. And this is the part where now where we help women <laughs> because it's the unknown and the, un the things that you just don't know that's going to happen. You need to be prepared. And I was not. And I looked around on the web, trying to find information, couldn't really find a whole lot. And subsequently I went ahead and took a plea. My plea was for 27 to 33 months on one count of wire fraud. When I met with the FBI and the United States attorneys and my, and my attorneys, uh, were present. They started with my entire spend at 2.3 million. So once I pushed over some evidence that I had kept, a big five-inch binder, shoved it across the table. They shoved it right back, took a break, and said 954,000. <laughs> so, but still, that's not the right amount of money, and uh, it's still a shock. Um, was, that, we, was, so that, we, was that just an arbitrary number? Arbitrary number. Mm -hmm. They, it came under a million, so you know the sentencing guidelines. Yeah, 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 that they they kind of knew where they wanted me, mm -hmm. and I didn't know that at the time. Again, I'm like nine hundred fifty for a thousand. You got to be kidding me! 
What you didn't know, Holly, is they were talking to somebody on a radio that had a dartboard. And they were talking to somebody They said, all right, charge her with this. Why not? But it does matter. It does. The, the monetary value matters. And my attorney um, told me, this is the best deal you're going to get. So you might as well take it. Um, went ahead and pled. Sentencing. I got 21 months. Did 21 months at Victorville Women's Prison in Adelanto, California, and entered that world where I met so many different women, so many different charges. You meet you. It was completely different. Meaning the women were than what I expected, and the true travesty of this whole system and going through it seeing people who were really not necessarily fully guilty having these horrendous sentences because they took it to trial. Um, family relationships, um, seeing everything, those disintegrate. Um, not knowing what was next, meaning how to prepare and go to halfway house slash going back into society. Supervised release. This was all with a white collar amount attached. So I told myself, I'm going to get my paralegal because what am I going to do when I get out? Um, my criminal defense attorney hired me in this law firm and I had hired a prison consultant who really didn't necessarily help me. And this is how I met Larry. Mm -hmm. I called him and he answered my question within five minutes and had me set. Oh, so just to be clear, this was a different prison consultant. That That is correct. I did. He did not help me. Um, I would like to buy a vowel. Don't, 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 don't. I know. So anyway, I met Larry. This is how we started comparing information and he, and just saying, you know, this is an area that I want to get into. Um, Knowing the whole process and helping somebody to minimize the impact Mm. and be, be a good human and go on. (laughs) It was purposeful to me. It was something that was purposeful. Mm -hmm. So that's how I came on board with Larry and now I'm a paralegal at the Dallas County public defender's office. So it's, it's just to show and share my story and experiences. And then of course, help everybody from basically what we say, cradle to grave. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's wonderful. That's, so, so did you two have Jackie Pulverari on, on your, on your show together, or did you just have her Holly on yours? How did that work out? Recently? I just didn't, I did an impromptu um, restitution, um, or no, uh, conspiracy, pardon me, conspiracy uh, Zoom meeting just to see, because people are always, you know, pinging me out yeah. in, the, in the social media. We're going, hey, you know, could you talk a little bit more about this? And mm-hmm. she came on. Yeah. yeah she's, um, she's in Connecticut with me. And the, the two of us uh, speak often kind of locally at different colleges and all. And in fact, we're doing it um, on the 18th of October. We're speaking at Albertus Magnus College. I so, think it's uh, fantastic. so I want to give a little shout out for Jackie there. Yeah. So, and Holly, you were on Access Hollywood today. I was. Well, they wanted to talk about Lori Laughlin going to Victorville, where I served my time. So they wanted, you know, more of the glam. Thinking again, camp cupcake. They have yoga. They have Pilates. They have <laughs> none of that. So. Have you have you ever met a Lori Laughlin? I have not. I have not met her in person. Yeah. Are you? Did you really? Remember, she called me up and pretended she was somebody else. Mm. You know, I got a lot of people calling me. I got a lot of bullshit callers come in. And <laughs> I'm like listening to this woman. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm just, 
working on stuff. And I'm thinking, yeah. wow, this lady knows a lot about this. She knows too much about this case. So I like, listen, I go, shit, I know who this is. I said, look, Lori, let's not bullshit each other. I know who you are. So let's jump to the issues. Like, what are you really looking for? Mm-hmm. And we spoke for, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes. And uh, she never called me again. I basically said, she's in, she was in denial. Okay. I mean, really in denial. More so than most people that she even committed a crime. So I explained to her conspiracy charges, wire fraud, mail fraud, bank fraud, kind of all, how it was all put together. And I said, listen up, Aunt Becky. You need to pull your head out of your ass. You should have taken that first fucking plea deal they offered you because now they're going to come back down the road and they're going to supersede you and they're going to hit you with more charges. You missed a grand opportunity. And they did. About six weeks later, boom, superseding indictment. And um, she eventually plowed out to it. I don't know if she actually hired any prison consultant. I have suspicions, but but don't know. I, I, I actually have a wall of my office that's plastered with articles of prison consultants who claim that they represent Laurie Laughlin. So it's. <laughs> I was going to say, well, you, yeah, there's quite a few. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can, bar- I can barely, oh, yeah. see, out, I can barely see out the windows. Yeah. So um, let me tell you a couple of stories. The first story is when um, I got contacted by Larry, or I can't remember how we got together. And um, he invited me to be on uh, on your old show, Larry. I guess Street Justice. It must have been Street Justice with yeah. Bruce Cameron. And and I and I listened in, and of course, you know, it's wild and wacky. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, I'm not going to come on the show till you and I speak on the phone. And we spoke on the phone, and um, I tried to explain to you like who I was. I, uh, um, I certainly wasn't uh, uh, that well known. You were probably very well known. And um, I tried to explain to you that I was a reverend and we started talking about it. And you were the sweetest, nicest guy in the world. And I, and I recall saying to you, Larry, I call saying, I promise you, I will never tell anybody that. <laughs> so now that I've exposed that, <laughs> On my own podcast, I'm telling you that that um, that your appearance belies your true nature, and that's very true, right? Yes. That's that's the truth. So that's the first thing I want to say. Okay. The second thing I want to say is that um, exactly this, uh, exactly um, today, by the way, Larry, or a year ago, um, I visited you um, and your wife um, out in uh, um, Moore Park. And um, I think I was the only one who's ever slept in your studio on the sofa there. (laughs) (laughs) I have (laughs) fell asleep in the studio. Ooh, but Jeff, (laughs) you're in the studio. (laughs) 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 That's a big deal. Game apps in that studio. Yeah, the only way I know it was a year ago today is that a Facebook memory popped up, and I said, "I can't believe we're doing it the same day." That's great. (laughs) So, um, wh- wh- why don't we why don't we leap from there, kind of into why you decided to be helpful to other people? It's kind of an entrepreneurial spirit. It's something that you know that takes a lot of time. That mm-hmm. that there's a lot of people suffering out there. Not everybody can pay you. That 
um, that you have to be really committed to wanting to help people and especially in, a, in an environment where they're not necessarily committed to receiving the help. Right. Right. So why don't we talk about that a little bit? Because I think that kind of like that throws the dart right into the middle. I'm going to keep my metaphors right. That throws the dart right into the middle. Like, what is it about this that, that really drives you? I want to jump in and say something. I asked Holly a long time ago. She did hire another consultant. I said, when she called me, well, why didn't you call me originally? She just reached out to me. And Holly, what was the reason that you didn't just reach out to me originally? I said you were scary. She thought I scared. was scary. I don't people think I'm not scary. Yeah. It's the appearance, you know, the appearance. I Abrasive, wear these, you know, I thought. I wear the glasses because they make me look like an asshole. I mean, <laughs> seriously. But yes, it's that's serious. the reason why. But what we do, it's serious things. Mm -hmm. It's all serious. And people need to be scared. They need to pay attention. And when they get to talk to me, they know, all right, mm -hmm. this guy's not completely crazy. He's on the level. He has good information. You know, but maybe the glasses turn people off. I don't know. When Holly reached out to me the first, well, when she initially reached out to me, I hit her with the million-dollar question. Like, do I know you? Who are you? You know, mm -hmm. I had to make sure I'm suspicious. Even to this day, the FBI is calling with somebody to try to sure. set some bullshit mm -hmm. up. I'm always suspicious of things. And, you know, and I, I told her because we were texting. I said, just call me. And she had a fucked up Wi-Fi phone connection because she was out in South Carolina at the time. And finally called me and we got to talking about her issue. And. It's ironic. Uh, another consultant who's not a bad guy named Michael Santos actually told her to call me, of all people. Mm -hmm. he can can help. And I figured out her issue in about five minutes. And she's right. Okay, here's what you need to do. Here's why the government's full of shit. And at that point, when she told me she was working with this other consultant and he never paid her, kind of ripped her off. I said, well, why don't you come and work with me? I knew she was a smart chick. She was on the ball. And like, I don't know, I get a lot of calls from people that want to work with me. Holly didn't have her head up her ass. She knew what she was talking about. You know, and that's hard to find. I mean, you no, know, Jeff, you did federal time. You've got a whole wall of consultants that claim they did stuff with uh, Aunt Becky. You know, and people have opinions. You know, this I have this on our marketing uh, paperwork on our brochures that everyone has an opinion, but are they qualified opinion? Mm. I'm a qualified opinion. Holly is a qualified opinion. Jeff, you're a qualified opinion. People are trying to get advice from people that essentially never served one day in custody that are telling them what's going to happen to them. And it's like, I tell people, well, if you were going to have brain surgery done, would you want someone who's actually done it? Or do you want someone that read it out of a book? Mm -hmm. You know? So what we do is, I don't know, we do damage control. We help people. We put people on a path and we give them guidance and we give them a plan so they can get out of, get into a good location, take advantage of programs, 
and get back to their families and re-enter society essentially as quick as possible. I mean, right now with COVID-19, mm-hmm. everything's up in the air. Anything I would have told people at the beginning of the year, I mean, I've altered my thought pattern. Yeah. Because the DOJ, as we know, the BOP, they're all over the board on anything. Ask five different staff members the same question. You're going to get five different answers that all sound plausible, but they're all full of shit. Am I right or wrong, Holly? No, you're right. And to that, Jeff, when you're asked about, you know, how, how do we stay committed to this? And when I was inside, like I said, I saw the disparity and, yeah. and the, just the, the sentence and somebody may have had a public defender that dropped the ball or an attorney that just didn't follow through, didn't educate. They only talked about the case. They didn't prepare them for any of it. And it matters to me that I cared enough for these individuals that I wanted to see them be successful. I didn't want them to come right back in. Um, Or some of the way that our sentencing guidelines and our U.S. attorneys play little games and their playbook and to educate from that point. It's like I said, it's an all encompassing thing. And that's what keeps me going and wanting to have somebody. And you've also got, you know, mental illness, you've got, a lot of trauma to deal with, pre-existing things that have happened. Um, that's part of this, even with the crime piece. So helping them get in with good programs or doctors and getting the care that they need, even aftercare as well. So I, it's, imp- it's just important. <laughs> so I'm, I'm obviously a point of entry for a lot of folks going through this stuff. I don't do what you guys do. I have no idea about programs. I have no idea about any of that. Um, but you can work, Jeff. You can work for the BOP because they don't have any idea about programs either. They're all <laughs> as I was saying it, Larry. I'm thinking, boy, is that a straight line? I know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but one of the things I find is that people are in trauma. They, they don't know what they need. They don't know what to ask. Half the time, um, or maybe literally half the time, uh, a spouse is, re- is, is reaching out because the person is so full of shame and guilt and, and, and right. just, and, or is just locked up and frozen. They just can't, they can't ask for the help they need. Mm-hmm. And then when, when you start to give them resources, and frankly, you, know, you two are, are, one, are, are two of the resources that I, that, that I, I refer them to, um, there's no way to know who, if you're ever going to get a second phone call or if they're just going to yeah. disappear into the vapor. Um, so what, when someone first calls you, what, uh, h- how do you talk to them and how do you let them know that this is the right place to be and that they're going to be treated in a way that's respectful for the situation they're in and that, and that they have to start taking things seriously um, and, and, and go through the steps they need to take in order to save their own lives. Well, everybody has a problem. Everybody has an issue. People call and they, they know they need something. They know they want help, but they don't know what they need. They don't know why. They're scared. They're angry. They're confused. Their lawyers have, con- their lawyers have complicated things. I know you were formerly a lawyer, Jeff. We won't hold that against you. Mm-hmm. So what I asked them is, well, what is your situation? 
And it like stops. I'm like, oh yeah, well, what is my situation? And I bring them to the beginning. All right, let's step them through their crime. And I'm not here to pass judgment on them. We're going to talk about your crime. Where are you at right now? Have you got a target letter from the U.S. attorney or the FBI, Homeland, whoever? Or have you already been indicted? Have you pled out? Are you awaiting sentencing? I need to know where that person is at. So Holly and I can jump in and essentially help them. And people are, you know, as I said before, there's a lot of opinions, but are they qualified opinions? It doesn't matter where they are in their legal journey. Let's call it that. Their journey to the BOP, to the Bureau of Prison. We can help them. But they have to know what it is they're looking for. Once we know what they're looking for, then we can guide them, do damage control, and put them on a path that we can help them achieve their goals. But if somebody doesn't really know what they want, I mean, we could suggest things, but I'm not going to talk to some asshole for hours, giving them suggestions and have them go, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I, I've yelled at people. I am kind of abrasive sometimes. And I'll ask people, do you understand what it is I'm saying? You're going to go to prison. And, you know, like a lot of times the number one question I get from people is, am I going to get raped inside? Yeah, I get this question. And I tell people, stop watching TV, the Shawshank Redemption. Stop watching all this. It's not like that. But then I address the rape issue. And I'm kind of, as I said, like an asshole. I can't help but fuck with people. I go, well, you know what? When they do it to you the first time, then it will be considered rape. But after (laughs) that, it might be consensual sex. Because what do I know? Maybe you're going to enjoy it. Well, These people just freak out when I do that. Then I say, relax, I'm just joking. It's not going to happen to you. But the important thing is now I have their attention. Now Well, you do. Mm -hmm. I don't think I said that to you because you came out of custody or anything. (laughs) Well, here, the other part we do with the trauma piece is you can tell when somebody's struggling, if it's a a husband calling for or if it's a friend, because you already know right there that there's something going on. Um, I, I try and make things a little bit easier to say, I understand, um, how people become alcoholics and drug addicts during this process. I drank mm-hmm. because it's the only thing that got me to sleep or calm me down mm-hmm. until I realized I'm just damaging myself even more. So I try to give people. All these, ice one, I'm kind of like the abrasive one, but we have cohesion where, I mean, Holly will tell me, uh, such and such, you need to call her. You need to reach out to her. She's not getting it. She's not understanding. Right. And I'll say, okay. And I'll reach out to the person. I'll say, look, Holly asked me to give you a call. What's going on? I say, look, she's already explained that to you. So let me explain it to you again. And I'm going to explain it to you in different terms. So pay attention to what I'm saying. And after I've like drilled a hole in their head and pulled, poured some brains in there, they get it. And Holly had given them a perfectly logical answer, but sometimes Holly is too nice. And Correct. Same. <laughs> well, not all the time, but. <laughs> they're not really, they're listening to her voice. She's like a calming voice. But that calming voice sometimes is counterproductive, right? right. Boom. We've talked I about just jumped right in. All right, look, here's the situation. This is what's going on. This is how, this is why. Look, 
there's programs we can get you into. I know what you want. You want to get out early, right? They shake their head. Do you have an alcohol problem? Do you have a drug problem? Uh, yeah, no. I go, how do you know? I ask people, how do you know? Let's let's break it down. Do you drink? Yes. All right. How much do you drink? Well, I drink wine. Uh, maybe I'll drink wine three or four times a week. I go, all right, let's say three times a week. When you drink, how many, how many times, let's say, do you consume alcohol each time that you drink? Oh, I don't know. I have three or four drinks. I said, okay, so let's call it four drinks. You're doing that three times a week. So you're consuming alcohol 12 times a week. Let's multiply that by a month. Well, gee, now you consumed alcohol 48 times. Now, let's multiply that by 12 months. Well, gee, you consumed alcohol about 550, 600 times a year. Sounds to me like maybe you do have an alcohol problem. That could have contributed to your crime. I don't know I'm not in a position to evaluate you. We have professional people that can do that. And I kind of steer them. Holly kind of does the same thing. I get the overall. I'm usually the one that can pick out, like I said, if, if there's a husband calling or a friend or somebody on their behalf, you know something's wrong right there. Yeah. And so we know that, yeah, that we need to ask more, you know, seeking to understand questions. Um, I like ask like, hold on, I'll ask like, well, is this for you? Uh, no, this is for da 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 da. I go, well, really? Well, why aren't they calling? Oh, they're afraid to call. I said, you know what? Get them on the phone right now. Mm -hmm. they have answers. They know what they need. This is counterproductive for me to go over this with you because I'm just going to have to repeat this to them. So Holly and I try to get that person on the phone. And I didn't mm. need to cut you off. Yeah. Wow. I yes. don't want to lose the thought. I had COVID-19 <laughs> back in April. <laughs> I forget. It's not funny. It's not funny. No, it's not funny. It's not, but. <laughs> it's your affect that's funny, Larry. Yes. Not, the, um, I, met with, I met with a guy. This, is, this has to be um, probably 10 years ago. And he, it was a few weeks before he was going to report to prison. And he asked me if I would meet with him in a diner. And, um, and I did, and I told him I had two hours to meet with him. So we, uh, we sat down in the diner and he proceeded with the bill. <laughs> I don't think it was very much. And we proceeded to, uh, he proceeded to tell me his story and he told me his story for 90 minutes. And at the end of the 90 minutes, he looked at me and he was very sa self-satisfied. You know, he was very happy with himself that I listened to him and he said, and he said, well, what do you think? I said, what I think is, is that you had two hours of my time and you wasted it talking about yourself for 90 minutes when I have the information you need. Okay. And now you only have 30 minutes to find out what it is you need because you're going to prison in two weeks. And he looked at me like I was a Martian, mm -hmm. right? He looked at me like you I was crazy. You get people like this. Right? Yes. And then, and then I said to him, you knew you were coming to meet with me. Did you bring a pad? And he looked like, what do you mean? I called the waiter over. I said, can you bring us a stack of placemats and a pen? I handed him the placemats and the pen. I said, I'm going to give you an extra hour. Start writing. 
this, this is a valuable commodity. This oh, knowledge, is. this information is important. And, and yet people want to, uh, my experience is that what people want to do is maintain control as much as they can. And they want to, and they think that the virtues they had when they were successful business people or successful professionals, they think that's what's going to save them instead of turning themselves over to the process and accepting that. Because those- they're in it's the problem. They yeah. haven't faced the fact. That's like the damage control thing. I said, look, you're screwed. Okay. You're, you're fucked. There's no question about that. So we're going to take a long rope, put it around your neck. We're going to pull your head out of your ass and we're going to put you on a track so you can get out early. You can get, take advantage of program. Forget about all that bullshit you think you know and what other people know. And if you really knew this shit, you wouldn't be coming here meeting with me or calling me. Now, would you? No. Okay, uh, there you go. Now, Jeff, I have to say, and Larry, you know this, to statistically speaking, the higher up level of whatever manager or supervisor that they had, it is difficult CEO level to pull them in and have them do that because they still think that their own skill set's going to, what they, how they manage their life and how they can have you know, communication with officers and get through this process now. So it's, you got to keep on <laughs> because once they're in and even after the fact, we've had them come to us to say, mm. wow, should have listened a little bit more. So let's, 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 let's bring my computer. Let me have my cell phone. Now you get those, Jeff. People oh yeah, of course, of course. Summer camp, they can bring all their shit well, well, what I, what I find is that when people are um, first going through these things, they are trolling the internet and they've read as much as they possibly, possibly can, thinking that there's going to be a, a magic bullet in there that they're going to find. And there's no magic bullet. And well, you guys may you guys may be the magic bullet, but <laughs> well, we, we minimize, but yeah, I mean, yeah. again, usually, but that's yeah, yeah. at but, that point, it's minimized. But yeah. but they think that there's going to be something out there. Um, and um, in truth, that um, the, the ma- that, that magic bullet might be inside of them. They may not have actually told, been truthful about their story, even to their own lawyers. Mm-hmm. And that happens. Where they I, play it. Yeah. We find things out later. We go and read the PSR, the probation sentencing report. It's like, aha, mm-hmm. well, why didn't you tell me this? Did and then I find out, did you even read your probation report? Because you're telling me this. Meanwhile, the FBI or Homeland Security, whoever, the Secret Service, they're stating that that's going to adversely affect you at sentencing time. So maybe you should go back through your PSR with me. Let's talk about the facets of right. your crime. Are you even aware of what you're being charged with and why? You'd be surprised that a lot of these people, they don't know. And that's why they come to us, because we're going to do damage control. The lawyers, again, Jeff, I won't hold it against you, your lawyer. The lawyers try to complicate things. They do. Where Holly and I can break it apart in simple terms, giving examples that people will understand. And that's what people need. They need to, first of all, understand the process and what's going on 
what they're charged with so they can get a picture in their head of the whole concept and then we can guide them. You know, it's like putting, would you put someone behind the wheel of a car that's never driven before? I mean, maybe if you're Asian or something. I'm in LA, I could say that. But the point is that a lot of people, they're just not aware of the federal criminal judicial system. They're not. not and even, you know, and I went to work for my former criminal defense attorney. So we had many a conversation. Uh, there are things that he didn't know. Um, you know, my restitution was a huge thing that they slipped in and, you know, it caused tremendous problems on the end uh, for me until Larry helped me clean that up. <laughs> but so there's, again, there's things that they don't know that we're able to pick apart. Mm-hmm. Um, they just don't, they miss things. We've, we've caught things on, again, pre-sentence reports mm-hmm. that put one person from one category into another it was huge. You know, but, it, it made what, a difference. Well, what, what I, what I, what I find is that. Um, what I find is that um, criminal defense attorneys are not subject matter experts mm-hmm. on people's businesses or people's industries or the, the nuances of what it is to be in that industry. And sometimes there, you really need to understand that. And sometimes the nature of the charges is specific to that industry. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. and your attorney may not have a clue. right if it's white collar if it's white collar okay were you a leader manager organizer how many crimes do you commit the most important thing is what's the dollar amount what is your dollar amount loss or exposure do you have any prior convictions and touching back on what holly said where the lawyers don't know I've come to a conclusion that the lawyers aren't doing this maliciously. They just really don't know. They don't. Right. Yeah. Law school does not get someone ready as much as they should be to help a criminal defendant fight their case or understand their case. You know, they pass things off. Okay. Holly, when you were working in San Diego for your former defense lawyer, how much of his work did you do? Would you say percentage wise? Quite a bit. A lot. Quite a bit. Yes. So and this the, is a paralegal perspective. What? Yes, a lot. <laughs> so that told me, that tells you a lot right there. That was it off. my lawyer. <laughs> a good lawyer. They pass it off to the paralegal, the legal assistant, does the, the majority of the work. Lawyer looks at it. Oh, okay, change this, change that. And then the lawyer goes and, you know, appears in court. And I've run into cases before where the lawyers weren't even aware of what their paralegal created. They mm-hmm. did not bother to read documents that they ended up signing. And that leads to problems. You know, I tell people that I'm not a lawyer. What I do is federal criminal litigation assistance. I work with you and I work with your lawyer. Mm-hmm. We're going to put a path to get for success and lawyers don't like me they they like holly they don't like me because when i get involved in things that there has to really work lawyer can't just blow them off actually they can right. blow holly off they i pick people up an example who do i tell people that you're going to become educated overnight that 
all of a sudden you're going to understand how and why and you're going to go to your lawyer and you're going to say, all right, I want you to look at this, this, and this. And the lawyer is going to like, does this person even know this? The right. lawyer is going to know that you're talking to somebody that really knows. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, don't tell them you have prison consult. They're not going to, they're not going to like that. Some lawyers are okay, but Some. generally lawyers, they don't like prison consultants. They don't. They don't want to share the money. They Every fucking dime should go to them. You don't need to have an outside source. Meanwhile, we've done damage to people and got their sentence exposure cut. Got to help people get lower sentences. Mm-hmm. Because we do read that PSR and we do pay attention to what the client is saying. You know, I'm talking too much. I'm sorry. So, so <laughs> well, what, no. why, why don't we share some, some stories? But just, oh. just be careful to not... Um, uh, um, tell um, names or, or references that might lead to the names, but we all have stories and I know you guys have terrific stories. So why don't we tell a, a couple of stories that, that the uh, general listener, someone who might be starting their journey might be interested in hearing. And, you know, it can be, uh, um, it, you, don't, you don't have to hold back, but please just don't do anything that's descriptive of the person. Can I go and start? I mean, oh yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. It's going to get. Sued. <laughs> I'm going to tell. Sued. Okay. I'm going to tell about the the warden getting stabbed. Um, I was clerking at the men's medium too for the warden, and he was stabbed at Mainline. And when you're inside, when you go inside, you got to pay attention to what you're writing out into the world. Such as I was blogging. I was telling about my experience, meaning I was sending via email my daily experiences and the person was putting it on a blog. And like I said, the warden got stabbed. I was in his office. I was sequestered to the visitation room, locked in, and saw this huge response. And I can't believe it. Victorville is on a complex. So there's a men's penitentiary, two men's medium facilities, and a women's camp. And the women do all the work. So all the women were at work, out, you know, unloading semi-trucks, doing mm-hmm. everything. This goes down. All the officers from everywhere just come mobilize at the men's medium. And I'm watching the buffoonery of these officers come in. Some are very overweight. Some barely can make it inside. And you're just, it was just unbelievable. Guys, officers were jumping in the back of pickup trucks with their guns, weaving around women who were trying to get out of the way. I'm like, what happens if they drop, you know, a weapon and shoot one of them? You know, no big deal to them. <laughs> women were having to turn around semis. And of course, as you know, if you're trying to walk, you can't walk back to camp. Uh, they don't let you when you're on the periphery because even though you're walking to the camp, not away from the camp, you can catch what they call an escape charge. Yeah. So, which is even stupid. <laughs> and so I wrote a blog about this whole event. Like I said, it was just quite the SHIT show. Mm-hmm. Uh, they airlifted the warden out. Ooh. So finally we go back to, I finally get back to my unit. I was picked up by my counselor and brought back, was like the last person on the whole complex to be taken back. <laughs> and when... They unlocked the door to send me back. The officer behind the counter, to who, he asked me who I should call to come pick me up. 
Oh, oh, they I have a couple Uber. thoughts for you. <laughs> oh, they, oh, they, they call an Uber. Yeah, who do I call? Oh, who do oh, I call? They, oh, they thought you were coming through R and D to, to get out. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. I don't know who you call. <laughs> so get back anyway. I posted this on a, a blog. It went out. The FBI saw it because it talked about other incidences around on the complex as well. Mm-hmm got pulled in by SIS, the Special Investigative Service, the officers, and they wanted to have a chat. They tried to give me a level, a Series 100 shot for basically putting officers' lives in danger, exposing information about the prison, everything. By the way, this had already been in the media, yeah, so it was, it was a known thing. Mm-hmm. And they decided to I had to meet with the disciplinary hearing officer right away, which was something that was the only good thing. They expunged the shot, but they still took me and threw me in solitary for 60 days. Wow. Because of this. It was to try and deter me from blogging or talking about it again. How'd you get the blog out? So again, via email. And Mm -hmm. they read it. They knew it was coming. They Mm -hmm. knew exactly what was up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how I found out is the next day I went back into the clerk job for the acting warden. And all of a sudden he comes unglued when I walked in, grabs me by my neck, actually touched me and forced me down the hall by my neck, threw me out in the lobby. And of course the women that were cleaning the lobby were like, what in the world's going on? Mm. And had a couple choice words for me. So they, of course, did a shakedown in my cubicle, pretty epic style. Everything just ripped apart, detergent thrown everywhere, any type of, you know, honey, everything was just a mess. It was just, you know, shampoo squeezed out, toothpaste, everything. It was bad. Mm. So. And and how was spending 60 days in a hole? Horrific. Mm. So I understand people in solitary yet you don't know what time it is. The lights are on all 24-7. You don't know what day it is anymore. Um, you're only out for one hour, and that could be at 5 in the morning, and the phones might not be on. And when I say out, that just means walking in front of your cell. You're in a cell. Um, you know, I had room service. They brought me my meals. <laughs> it was very difficult. Um, there was nobody working to deliver library books. You're usually allowed to read, so no reading. Mm. Um, on that 60th day, let me tell you, <laughs> you get to learn the, the, sh- the jail and, and mm-hmm. where they put the shoe, the special housing unit for Victorville. It was at San Bernardino, Bern- Bernardino County Jail. So I was I've in the county jail. Mm-hmm. I know you've been there. <laughs> We're alumni from there. Um, we are alumni. So, and then you learn a schedule about... If the feds don't come and marshals don't come and pick you up at 4 a.m., you know you're not going out on con air. But the prison didn't have to share any information to, with my lawyer where I was. Um, the prison didn't have to say anything, and they didn't. The only way that anybody knew was that my bunkie at the time, my roommate, called a family member and wasn't supposed to do that, could have gotten in major trouble for doing of it. Course, That's yeah. the only way. Mm-hmm. So that's a kind of a crazy story. Yeah. Yeah. So they thought they would deter me. And in fact, when I came back to work, they didn't want me around staff any longer. So they let me have a driving job, meaning driving the girls to work. <laughs> they yeah. wouldn't let me drive staff because they were too worried I'd be saying things about 
the prison. <laughs> yeah. Or over, overhearing things they didn't want you to overhear. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. That was yanked. So, so, Larry, tell us a story or two. Oh, he's got great ones. <laughs> a story or two. I spent my time in custody helping inmates and busting the BOP's ball. And I knew just how far I could push them. To the point, this one lieutenant, they love to pretend they're in the military and they call him LT. And I go, you know, LT, if I didn't like you, I would tell you I think you're a scumbag. He's like, oh, and he like thought about it. Well, do you like me? I go, I don't know. I haven't decided. But it's just like little things like that that they can't put their finger on. Now, I was known at every facility. I spent my time in the law library helping people. This is how I reached where I am today. I didn't know any of this shit before I went. And even being a, a private investigator, I mean, let's take a, let's back up. I was a troubleshooter for the mafia. They would bring crime to me. I would make crime better. You know, organized crime, more bang for the buck. I was that efficiency expert. And I took my knowledge and I applied it. Now, I'm doing legal work, again, for people. Mm -hmm. And the staff knew it. There was a warden over at, he was an associate warden in Texas. And a little saw-off son of a bitch. She looked like an evil leprechaun. And uh, he comes into the law library one day, and I had done a ton of, you know, people that had outstanding warrants and traffic tickets and all this shit. And I was drawing up motions for people to get that dismissed, to get sentenced to concurrent time, to run concurrent, you know, with the sentence they're serving right now. And you send a what's called a conforming copy to who you send it essentially to the ward to let them know I filed this. People don't know you need to do that. that make a copy. Well, the work that I did was so good. They actually thought that it came from the court, and they started dismissing detainers on people based on my motions. I mean, it wasn't an order based on my <laughs> motion. Well. One day, the leprechaun, I guess, found out, all right, this stuff isn't real. He comes into the law library and says, he's holding some documents. He's holding some motions. He goes, which one of you is Levine? And I go, that would be me. What do you want? And he goes, did you do this? And he shows me the motion. I like grab it out of his hand and go, yeah, I did it. What about it? He starts telling me that I do that. You can't, he's telling me I can't use pleading paper. He's telling me, and I'm like, really? I says, well, maybe you should brush up on your own policy because I happen to have it right here. And I pulled out the program statement. They said, your own policy says that I'm allowed to do this. So don't tell me that I can't do something that your policy allows me to do. And I said, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You give me a written order 
telling me that I can't do it, and I'll stop. I said, but until then, until that order comes down, I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing. And if you have nothing else for me, I said, I'm done here. And I went back to work. And he's just standing there with a lieutenant. And they'd already thrown all the other inmates out of the law library, except one, actually, an inmate I was doing legal work for. You stay here. They didn't know who he was, but they wanted to win this. So I went back to what I was doing. And they were frustrated and they left. And there was nothing they could do about it. I would make a big production. I love doing this. I did this at several institutions. Mm-hmm. I would walk across the compound very slowly, generally in the evening after mail call after dinner on my way to the law library. And I would carry, I don't have one here, a big binder, big black three ring binder. And I'd make it a point to walk really slow. And the staff would sit with each other, bullshitting, talking, and they would see me. And as I'm walking by, I could see their heads turning in their eyes and they're pointing. And I know they're talking about me. I would get to the front of the law library door. I would stop. I would turn around and I would look at them. I would hold Hinder up and I would point to it. And I would smile and shake my head. And they're thinking to themselves, oh, God, what is he doing now? And then I would just calmly walk into the law library. And to be honest with you, Jeff, what do you think was in that, that binder? Nothing. Any idea? Nothing. Holly, any idea? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, win the new car. Absolutely nothing. I did it just to put them on edge. All right. The average police academy, six months, nine months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something like that. I don't know if Holly knows. I don't know if you know, Jeff. How long is the BOP training academy? Anyone in the crowd? The Holly, when you said three, is it three months? I think it's three months. You know is it three months? The BOP training academy? I think it's three. Holly, you've lost. You can't get the call. Jeff, you have no it's probably a month. It's Rick. 21 days. Yes. <laughs> no, it's three fucking weeks. It's 21 days. You know, they start, they put a mirror under their nose. Like, oh, there's condensation here. They're alive. They, they, they pass phase one of the test. Phase two, they hold like two fingers together. What is this? One, well, that's 11. No, no, that's, that's not 11. That's too stupid. They don't think. A lot of these cops are just filling dead air, filling dead space, doing a job. They're not, not on what's going on. When they went open to West Virginia on a mountaintop, I forget which one it was they opened. Where do you think they hired people? From the mountaintop. Well, they brought in some staff from the, from the mountaintop. And that's so now typically- you've got the people. People from working in the I know they're all in. I should say they're all inbred. That's nice. I don't want to, you know. But the point is, they're not getting a professional 
not all bad. I ran into plenty of good staff members that are on my Facebook that I became friends with. I have active staff in Redux staff that think what I do is great, but they can't think logically. Let's jump over to Lompoc. Lompoc is a complex like Victorville. There's several prisons there. They have a big dairy farm operation where they're they're bottling milk. They're, it's like a, a milk. We got our milk. They're milking the cows and they're the milk. The little right. the little wax plastic cartons that are going out for the West Coast. They all come from Lompoc. Well, the inmates can drink as much milk as they want. The staff does too. They take advantage of. It. And there was this big fat, dumb, goofy hat, this cop, um, probably in his mid-40s, had a Beatles haircut, okay? Looked like baby Huey. And this guy loved his chocolate milk. And I saw him sucking down a, a bottle of it. And I looked at him. I'll, I'll change the last name. I said, hey, Johnson, no more chocolate milk. And he has like a goofy look look on his face. I'm in the officer's, uh, I'm in the, the, the office, the, the uh, charge of Porter's office. He's in there. He's the dude. There's a couple other cops there. I don't know why I went in there for something. No, no more chocolate milk. And he goes, how come? And I says, because the chocolate cow died. And he like looks at me and gets a really stupid look on his face. He goes, did not. I go, did so. And we went back and forth. And the other cops start laughing at him. And finally, I had had enough. I had shit to do. And I said to the other cops, remember, you have to work with him and you have to rely on him if there's a problem. And I left. Okay? They're not all bad. They're not all stupid. They need to really that caliber of staff who gives a shit about their job. You know, a lot of the BOP is under the impression that the institution would run much smoother. If there were no inmates there, they should still get paid. And that's a big problem. They're there. What is, does anyone besides me know the BOP's statement? I have it written. I don't have memories. I have no idea. <laughs> you know it. A man in Connecticut. They are to house you in a safe, sane, secure, humane environment so you can rejoin society as a productive, law-abiding citizen. The BOP has lost sight of what its mission right. really is. Well, very They're not there. Their own, their, when I, I had clerk's jobs at most places, uh, high-profile jobs. And I would read all their internal shit. Hell, I was even doing college resumes for some of the staff members' kids that were graduating and wanted to get jobs and shit. I would read all their paperwork. I would read everything. Hell, I used to read the package of the instructions on a tampon box when I was five or eight old, when I was sitting in the bathroom. I read and I absorb. So did the tampons. But anyway. Being in custody, they're not there to punish you. That's not their job. They're not there to rehabilitate you. The punish being away from your friends and being away from your family. That's and what that supposed to be. says so. In the BOP's own paperwork says that. They're not here to punish you. 
But some of these cops, as I was saying, have lost sight of their mission. What mm -hmm. is their mission? Mm -hmm. And they think it's their job to punish you, and they go out of their way. I mean, you, you guys probably saw this. Remember the cops that walked around with the big gun belt that had all the toys on it, but no oh, gun? Yeah. The flashlight, the radio, the four pairs of handcuffs. I mean, just all this shit. And then they had taps on their shoes. So you can hear them when they walk. And I go, well, that guy's got mental problems. He really does. I like the staff that would come in. They'd have a radio and a flashlight and their, <laughs> their CPR so thing. Yeah. They'd carry it in their, their pocket. They would come in to do a job. At the end of the eight hours, they would leave. They were helpful. They weren't crusaders. They didn't come in on the weekend on their day off to help shake the place down. Just to get their jolly. Some cops did. But I could. I could go on for hours. Don't get me started. <laughs> so, multiple customers. You know, I'm getting ready to launch. Holly and I, our associate Walt, uh, Walt Pavlo, we're launching a new pod podcast called Beyond the Game. Yeah. We're going to be doing high-profile interviews with people who have been in custody. People are going in custody. I'm starting a video podcast myself. I'll probably do live called The Midnight Report. You're hearing that first here. Where I'm going to be talking about crazy shit, examining cases where wire fraud, mail fraud, all the different fraud cases, or how the law works. And I'm going to highlight on each report, a different case that's currently active or somebody got sentenced mm -hmm. to the example. So people can relate that to something other than the law. And on the midnight report, which people will be able to find on justicebroadcasting.net, I'm launching it next month, October. I'm going to tell a different prison story, midnight report. So there will be one. There will be one. You'll have to tell him the French one. Believe it or I, not, Larry Levine is French. I'm going to tell that now. Well, when I was at the medium high prison in Phoenix, Arizona, they call that Black Canyon is the uh, the FCI Phoenix, mm -hmm. and people serving life sentences there. I'm in a cell. I was in there with a couple of Hispanics. Well, they got transferred. Who knows? I had the lower bunk because I was the only one left. In there. Well, the next day, some guy shows up, and I'm Jewish, Larry Levine. Guy shows up, and he has a swastika tattooed on the back of his head. He's got a, uh, an image of Adolf Hitler tattooed on his chest, along with Adolf Hitler's birthday. I was pretty cool with this guy. Uh, Paul Huss, all right. He was there for robbing armored cars up in uh, Washington and Idaho and up there. Next day, another guy shows up. Uh, they called him AZ. I don't know why. They, he was from Arizona. I don't know why they called him. Well, this guy's got the lightning bolts and the long, you know, blue eyes, blonde hair. This guy's like super Nazi. And I was teaching them essentially how to do money laundering. I was like, I was coaching them, explaining to them about people's crimes. And 
AZ says to me, he goes, Levine, Levine, he goes, that's French, isn't it? And I go, hey, you're pretty good. I was terrified to think these guys were going to find out I was Jewish. They were going to fucking shank me and I wasn't going to wake up in the morning, you know? People, and this was a dangerous place. I was in a TV room there watching TV with some guy. Cool. We're just chatting. I find out he's serving a life sentence. He was the first lifer I had actually met. And uh, seemed okay to me. I decide, well, I'm going to go back to my cell and get some rack time before count and dinner. I'm in my cell about 10 minutes. And all of a sudden, someone hits the deuces. That means the alarms go off. Yeah. The sirens go off. They do a massive lockdown. And it turns out someone got stabbed and someone got killed. Well, the guy stabbed and killed was the guy that I had just been talking to that I was watching TV. Turns out that some other people had come into the TV room after I left and they were watching the show. This guy changed the channel on the TV and he didn't ask Mission. Oh, that's a no, no. So, yeah, it's a no, right. Now you can see what my concern is. Hey, are these guys going to shake me in the middle of the night and kill me? Mm-hmm. People die in this place. This place has telephone. You guys probably have never seen this. Well, Holly might have saw it at Victorville, where they have telephone poles up like in the middle of the compound and on the yard, and they have yeah. wires that are strung between the poles. That's yeah. so somebody can't land in a helicopter. There. Right. That was the whole you know, thing because there was an air base right next to Victorville. Yeah. So that's why. I was stationed there when I was in the military, Victorville, uh, uh, George Air Force Base. And I'm the 10th Air Division. So now, Jeff, now so, you know now you know that Larry's French. So send him a beret. Yes, I am. <laughs> on, on, you know, on, on, his, on his father's side. On his father's side. <laughs> so, all right, guys, guys, we, we, we have to start wrapping this up. I know. So, um, First of all, I want to make sure that I'm putting in a clear uh, plug for your podcast that started with Walt Pavlo. That's called Beyond the Game. Correct. And when's the first episode of that going to drop? Looks like in the next two two weeks. All right, great. One, Don't uh, have a date yet. Two by mid October. Right. And, and for those of you who aren't aware, Walt, Walt, Walt writes the uh, white collar column for Forbes.com. He's written uh, a bunch of uh, articles about um, about our work here, so we're we're grateful to him for that. And I was very happy to hear that you guys are going to get together and do something meaningful. Larry's going to have this uh, um, pirate radio version of the Midnight Report. He's going to have all night like the Drudge Report, mm-hmm. and uh, that's going to be fabulous. Um, and so you'll be able to hear it live on Chaos101FM.com. We do a uh, Holly and myself and a bunch of Former federal inmates, we do the Street Justice Show, the Friday Chaos Crew, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Every Friday. You've been on the show, Jeff. You listen in. Yeah, we're listening. We talk about everything. and (laughs) It's Pravda. We speak the truth and nothing but the truth. Mm -hmm. People may not agree with us, honest. So, um, as we go, I'm not, as, as we, I am speechless. (laughs) So what takeaways would you like people to, to know about, um, as, as we kind of get to the close of this, 
Uh, Holly, why don't we start with you? Um, obviously, uh, women reach out to you in all kinds of trouble. And what's, what's the one or two things that you'd like to um, have them remember this podcast by or you'd like to leave them with that will inspire them to get in touch with you? Know that just reach out, make a call, reach out on social media that we are available. Don't think, don't hold it in, don't have somebody else call for just call. You can remain anonymous, tell us what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are, we're here to help, that's what we're here to do. I want to make sure that people know that it's all encompassing again, it's depending on where you're at. I mean, it could be even after you've served time and, and you're completely done and having a really hard time re entering. Just pick up the phone and reach out. We, if we can't answer it, we have team members that can. Mm-hmm. Um, other, other, again, clients that are willing to even talk about their experiences that mm-hmm. could mirror theirs. So there are answers. Not everything's on the web. So give us a call. What's your contact information, Holly? So you can reach us at wallstreetprisonconsultants.com, pinkladyprisonconsultants.com. There is telephone numbers as well as email it would come directly to us immediately. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. 8555-PRISON. 8555-PRISON. 577-4766. My takeaway is that if the feds have reached out to you, you know you've done something wrong, you're screwed. Okay, you're probably going to go into custody. But we're, as I've said several times, we're going to do damage control. We're going to minimize your exposure and make sure that you serve as little time as possible, that you can take advantage of programs that will get you back to your family. There's a lot of consultants out there. There's good ones and there's bad ones. You know, there's people that will talk to you about jail time and white collar advice and give you all kinds of clues. Uh, there's some guy who calls himself uh, our rap, uh, I don't know, our rap Danny or something. You got a lot of people out there that claim they know things that really have spent little time in custody. If we can't help, you probably know, that, but we're not going to bullshit you. That's the important thing. I turn people away all the time. And I tell them, look, you're screwed. Don't hire me. Don't get a fucking penny. And if somebody else tries to charge you and they say that they can do this for you, they're lying to you and they're just going to rip you off. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Well, Larry Levine, Holly Coleman, thank you so much for being with me tonight. I, know I correspond with you guys all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, you're you're very helpful to me, and uh, I want to invite you to uh, join our white collar support group that we have on Monday nights, and and talk about this stuff with everyone. We have about 25 people on the Zoom call every Monday night, and actually, this Monday night is our 225th meeting. So uh, I remember when you started, Jeff. It's uh, crazy, right? That's it's, it's incredible. It's crazy, and and the thing is that it's. Um, you know, it's, it's really communal. It's what people put into it and uh, we don't charge anybody and it's just trying to build the community out of all of this. And um, it's, it's working. It's working. So we'll invite you guys on. Go, actually, come on anytime you want because you, go, you both get the invitation. But I'd like to have you on and, and 
to just talk about this and what are the misconceptions and, and the things that people don't know but should know when they're going through this. So uh, you two are yeah, experts. We that would, would be great. like to have you. We would like to have you come back on the Friday Chaos. Let's talk about SBA fraud. Jeff is, you guys all know what Jeff was convicted of. Jeff right now is in a unique position. He was convicted years ago of SBA loan fraud, I think it was. Yeah, exactly. Jeff yeah. became a former lawyer. He's become an expert on this. And right now we've got all these people who, due to coronavirus, COVID-19, who have taken out SBA loans that have done fraudulent activity that will probably end up uh, getting charged with SBA loan fraud. So Jeff is in, at the forefront of a cottage industry within an industry. And I congratulate you, Jeff. Well, the, the thing about that, Larry, is that I always took responsibility for my behavior, but it was impossible for these last 18 or 19 years to explain the, the, the circumstances, to explain how the government was, was uh, uh, pushing out money and how I, of course, took advantage of it. But the context was impossible to explain. And now, obviously, it's, uh, it's way bigger than it was post 9-11. And there's going to be a lot of people in trouble, and a lot, there a lot are. of people. There's a lot of people who meant to commit fraud, and there's a lot of people who have are going to wander into trouble unknowingly because they were just ill prepared to uh, get their paperwork together, say in three days, and apply for uh, uh, complex and complicated loans that they didn't really know what they were getting into. Mm -hmm. We can talk all about that, Larry, and, uh, and uh, of course, I I'd love to, but mostly it's the, the opportunity to be of service to people who don't have to suffer. And uh, the suffering is optional, and, uh, and I think you guys do a tremendous job and a tremendous service, so thank you so much. Thank you. All right, so uh, information will be on uh, in the show notes, and we'll be in touch, and love you guys, and thank you thank so you. much. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you for joining us on White Collar Week, sponsored by Progressive Prison Ministries. You can learn more about us on our website, prisonist.org. That's prisonist, like feminist. And please remember to rate, review, and share this podcast so that families suffering in silence can find us if they need us. See you next time.